everybody. Welcome to episode four of season one of the Recovering Hypocrite podcast, where we explore the relentless grace of God toward jacked up sinners like yours truly. I am the, the chief recovering hypocrite around these parts, Noel Jesse Hakenham. And about three and a half years ago, and it seems like it was a lot longer than that, but I looked it up twice because I couldn't believe it was so recently. Three and a half years or so ago, I was in Windsor, England, uh, which is where the Queen has one of her vacation places, you know. And I was at a conference there, and a friend of mine introduced me to somebody and said, I think the two of you would get along. And uh, she was right because I, I became fast friends with this guy. His name is Joel Virgo. And Joel is the senior pastor of Emmanuel Church in Brighton, England. Yeah. Um, it's actually Pope. We do things different over here. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, it's um, Apostolic Designate. No, no. <laughs> no, so I'm, I'm, um, I guess I'm senior pastor. Yeah. Yeah. Lead, lead pastor, lead elder. Lead, yeah. Whatever. So he's, he does some stuff at a, yeah. a fantastic church in, in Brighton, UK called Emmanuel. And, uh, Joel, the thing I just love about your church is you guys are, are Jesus loving people with no pretentiousness. And, and, and the city of Brighton is such a unique city. I mean, it was founded as a city uh, of parties, like the prince wanted to throw his frat parties there. And so the whole city started there and it's still kind of the, yeah. the vibe. And yet you have this vibrant, multi-generational, multicultural church um, that has no pretension and just loves Jesus and loves your community. Thank you. Yeah, the way you're describing my church, it makes me want to want to join it. That's encouraging. <laughs> Well, I love uh, not just attending your church, but preaching your church. I, I often have told people that uh, your Sunday night service at mm. uh, the campus that I've had the opportunity to preach at yeah. um, is one of my favorite places to preach. Fantastic. Just really vibrant, engaging, yeah. everybody's excited. And so it's it's cool to see all that God is doing through you guys. Right. Thank you so much. That's hugely encouraging. So a couple months ago, uh, the this interview had its genesis in a pub in Peterborough, England. What were we doing? We were very lost. And um, we got talking about a particular theological concept. And about, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes into the conversation, I said, let's knock it off. Yeah, people say that to me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> But the reason was wasn't that I didn't want to talk to you anymore. It's that I wanted to record it. I wanted people to hear our conversation. And so, what we were talking about is that the, the really uh, what has become the core message of this podcast um, that we are recovering sinners. That we're not recovered, but that we are both sinners and saints at the same time. And just that, that duality and that tension. Um, and, and you just had some remarkable thoughts from your background, from your history, and just the, the movement that, you're, that your church is part of. So why don't you walk us into that by telling us a little bit about um, how your church got started and, and what the tradition then um, became in how you think about our sanctification. Sure, sure. So a bit of background. So we um, uh, started in the late 70s. I began the church when I was four years old, and uh, uh, my parents helped. 
but they were uh, <laughs> they 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 often talk as though they began it, but um, but they they they're kind of hiding the fact that the mastermind, that Yoda, was in the pram in in the in the stroller, as you would call it. Um, but the the uh, the church uh, flourished at at, at uh, uh, the stage in the UK church scene when the charismatic uh, movement was was. Uh, uh, growing and having huge impact and actually the church grew to, to many hundreds pretty quick which is fairly rare i guess in the uk um and um uh it's getting less rare but it's it's it certainly was rare in, in those days um my dad who, who who you know who i let him think that he, he he started it he he uh he is a um um a very gifted bible teacher very very uh very uh gifted in terms of establishing really healthy um, foundations of church life that grow out of a strong grasp of, of grace and um, um, the, the power of the, the, the true power of the, the grace of God in our lives. And uh, I think he was very shaped by Martin Lloyd-Jones, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who, who you, you, I don't know if that's a name mentioned on this podcast, but um uh, certainly a, a, a huge statesman in the late 20th century, uh, mid 20th century, perhaps, for the doctrines of grace and uh, um, his his preaching career and, his, and the books that followed have had huge impact. My dad met him a couple of times and, and was certainly very schooled by him being living in London during the kind of zenith of his preaching career in Westminster Chapel. My dad was there uh, week after week and uh, and took his his stuff from Romans particularly to heart. And really, uh, I think the impact of that radical—I say radical—I guess just biblical—and um, and truly uh, true to the Reformation, true to the uh, the kind of the, the the best legacy of the Reformation in terms of the real freedom that it brought. Uh, that that kind of teaching had, I think, a huge impact on my dad uh, through the '60s and the '70s, particularly as a struggling pastor. Um, he was. Uh, uh, you would talk sometimes these days how you know the doctrines of grace kind of saved his life just kind of it was just it was huge to him to to understand his freedom from the condemnation of the law and to to um to to learn to live uh, in the spirit according to the spirit and not a, not according to the flesh not not under the under the um uh, the, the kind of the the heavy burden of legalistic holiness as as I suppose it might have been understood in in the the context where he grew up where where you know piety and holiness were rarely associated with liberty and joy and freedom and I think coming into clear doctrine clear understanding of grace set him free and then by extension, the churches that he pastored, and the, and certainly the church that he started here in Brighton, and then the many churches that uh, came under his care as the New Frontiers movement began to take shape, and and I suppose these days, if you were to ask people what's one of the abiding uh, legacies of Terry Virgo's ministry and the ministry of New Frontiers, the, the church network, the family of churches that came out of his ministry, grace would be right up there. You know, grace would be. Um, perhaps the, the first word people might reach for. So yeah, a couple of years ago, um, your dad came and preached at an Acts 29 event in Detroit, just in a church that we planted. And he taught on prayer. And I can honestly say that in my life, I have never 
heard someone preach a message on prayer in a way that A, made me want to pray more, and B, made me not feel guilty about the fact that I wasn't praying more. And, and that is a testimony to the, the grace message uh, that is proclaimed through uh, your dad's ministry and now through yours as well. It, for me personally, it meant that uh, if, I, if I had personal hurts and struggles um that might be typical for some teenage preachers kids whereby a, you know a teenager might come under a legalistic and oppressive church culture even oppressive legalistic family culture and be deeply switched off and and uh, um you know uh, thrown if I had any of that experience, it was certainly not because of my parents. <laughs> it was certainly not because of my, really, it wasn't much because of my church. It, the, the culture I grew, grew up in was wonderfully free from some of those classic sad stories. Um, and uh, and so I, I think I, I understood at least the, 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 tr- the teaching about grace um, from a fairly early age. Now, as is you know, in reality is you can have a head knowledge. You know, I think Spurgeon understood the gospel way before he believed it, or way before he received it um, to his own heart. You know, I think it was in his late teens when he says he finally got converted. Um, and so I, I think, you know, I, I understood the wonder of it, but I think it's I probably spent <clears throat> my adult life learning to appreciate it and um, learning to enjoy it in the way that my dad had come to enjoy it. Uh, but I, I do thank God for that legacy. I, I, I think it's huge. I think grace has set us on a better foundation. Now that I lead, now that I pastor the church that I grew up in, um, I, you know, I, I, I'm so grateful to God and often give thanks and kind of stand in wonder at, at the, the benefits of, of taking on leadership of a church that doesn't have to be kind of retaught because the gospel's been missing, you know? I know that some guys take on churches where it's like, has anyone mentioned the gospel here in the last mm. hundred years? You know, it's just, it's such a, a legalistic cult. It's such a yeah. uh, dark kind of culture sometimes. Well, that's not been my story at all. It's, it's, it's one of the, one of the very positive things indeed. It's been this, this grace culture. So, so I guess, I guess one of the things that when you grow up in a context where you live in the benefit of this, this very positive climate, you you there's a potential to at least um have to you know deal with some confusion when it comes to uh the reality of ongoing sin ongoing temptation ongoing struggles um in our lives not you know hopefully not because you feel like this makes me lose my my righteous standing that's that's what grace you know the the, the, the justification sets you free from that but I guess you know our conversation in the pub touched on the the fact that there's also this this huge emphasis in as 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 Paul especially unpacks it in places like Romans six and, and Colossians two and three and parts of Ephesians and other places on the 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 radical nature of conversion not just to our legal standing but to what we've become in that we've become saints we've as you, as your book so helpfully kind of reminds us that, that our identity's changed our, there's something 
within us that's been very genuinely renewed and transformed. I guess that one of one of the other great benefits of Martin Lloyd Jones, one of the great legacies, is, is his his book on Romans six, which emphasizes this triumphantly. I mean, it's just it's a very very big theme in Lloyd Jones that. The believer has been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light that you died to the Lord. You are you died to, to sin. You, you, you are in Christ. Christ has died, been buried and raised. You're raised with him to new life. And so the power that sin once had over you, it, it now does not have. It does not have legitimate power over you at all. Um, and I think that that as a theme has been trumpeted as well in my kind of church in a way that's been very healthy. But I would personally say I've observed occasionally a little bit of confusion left over about how we apply that and how we deal with it. You actually asked the question as to whether Martin Lloyd-Jones has come up in this podcast, and we're only on the fourth episode, and Martin Lloyd-Jones has already come up in the podcast. In fact, it was his his comment um, that if you really proclaim the gospel of grace correctly, you're going to open yourself up for the charge of licentiousness, yes. um, of, yes. of, of, of giving license to sin. And, yeah. and it, for, you know, as a preacher, that's, a, that's an interesting litmus test to ask the question, have I ever been open to that charge? And if I've never been yeah. open to that charge, uh, Jones would say, well, you might not be preaching the gospel correctly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that's um, uh, that's that's a guide. It's a that's a very comforting quotation <laughs> for preachers of grace. Well, I think it's a comforting quotation, but it's also one that um, people say, well, 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 he can't possibly have mean what he said. But in the same way that they say, well, the Apostle Paul can't possibly have mean meant what he said. You know, when when Paul was talking about the fact that he um, was the chief of all sinners at the end of his ministry, he couldn't possibly have meant that. He must have meant something else. The, the, the fact is that that many people will will enjoy grace in a way that brings tremendous liberty um, on one level in the sense that wow, it, it declares me righteous. It declares me um, uh, it gives me the righteousness of Christ. And so I'm legally forensically in the right i'm 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 <laughs> i'm as righteous as he is and he is at the right hand of the father i could not be more righteous and secure and yet at the same time um assume that nothing has actually changed in terms of our genuine our actual identity our, our our makeup as a person our our ontology if i might use the, the you know a kind of scary word you know, our, our being um when I think actually part of the New Testament goes even further than than simply the forensic statement of righteousness. Paul seems in so many places, places I've already referred to. I could also refer to Galatians, to first and second Corinthians. Even the fact that he refers to believers as saints. We, we are in him. We have righteousness is one Corinthians one thirty, but also sanctification, redemption. We, we are being transformed after the image of who we've been joined to and he's the righteous one our union with christ means that we're 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 new creation the thing is that can sometimes happen in my observation at least is that we might so enjoy the wonder of of our our new identity new creation that we we actually perhaps swing to an opposite side of the pendulum into thinking that being very uncomfortable with ever identifying ourselves as sinful 
uh, even referring to ourselves as sinners at all, that, that that can become a very, very taboo thing to do. Ironically, you know, <laughs> in spite of having started on that place of I'm, I'm desperately in need of grace, we, we're saved, we're converted. And then I, 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 I'm, I'm a new creation. And and it, it can even be that our our New Testament based liberty gets understood almost in a kind of power of positive thinking kind of f- format where I, I'm going to overcome this this problem with with this temptation or this past hang up or this area of difficulty because I'm going to keep telling myself I'm free I'm free I'm free and it can become more to do really with a kind of you know a, a routine of of just positive thinking rather than resting in the true gospel of Christ and also I think when we stumble which we will when we we we, we the reality is that we are uh, we don't believe in perfectionism we, we've got we've got a uh, we've got to cross a line before that um i'm gonna fail i'm gonna sin if if i haven't got place a place on my grid for that if i haven't got provision made doctrinally for those kinds of moments i'm gonna be really confused as much as anything else you know, I thought I, I got Romans 6. I got totally free. And then I, I realized I've still got a sinful, you know, I've got flesh. I, I, so we need to do better than just swinging from pendulum to pendulum. I, I don't know if that makes sense. Well, yeah, I was, you know, I was preaching um, actually in Southampton, uh, England, just before you and I hung out in the pub. It was one of the reasons I was yeah. in, in country there. And I was preaching on Colossians 3 on how we are hidden in Christ. Um, and, um, and I began to talk about the fact that, yeah, we are completely hidden in Christ. And then in my next message, cause I was doing a couple messages at a conference, I was talking about our deep, deep sin and that we are totally <laughs> wretched in our sin. And I had someone yeah. come up to me afterward and he goes, those two messages can't both be true. He goes, there's just no way that both of those are true. So how dare yeah. you say that we're still sinners? And I said, wow. but do you still sin? And he goes, of course I still sin, but I'm not a sinner. And I said, well, wait a minute, how do you define sinner? A sinner is someone who yeah. sins. You are both a sinner and a saint. Um, and and being hidden in Christ means that when God looks at you, he sees you as perfect and righteous and holy as Jesus. And, and that is your fundamental eternal reality and your flesh right now for the rest of the time here on earth is being caught up into that, which is why Paul was able to say, man, I'm the chief of all sinners at the end of his life. And he was able to say, yeah, this is a present reality. I am the chief of all sinners. And Paul writes to the Colossians, I am hidden in Christ. And when God looks at me, he looks at me through Jesus. And both of those realities are true at the same time. So Paul seemed to have capacity for what looks to some people like a, a contradiction, but he seems to comfortably see them as you no, know, they can work simultaneously. I've 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 sometimes heard people um, who have swung that sort of distance on the pendulum um, try to try to almost kind of find a way around that that sort of First Timothy one uh, language of your chief of sinners. Uh, by um, uh, say, well, that he's referring to his pre-conversion condition, um, and I, I, you know, that's I, I'm not sure that that's 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 a very persuasive exegesis. I think there are there are other verses you still have to deal with anyway, 
there's places like you know James himself refers to his his readers as as sinners at one stage. Um, I think it's interesting. I, I I can't remember quite where I got this from, but Paul's progression you could almost see in terms of his awareness I, I don't know this may this may be a little a little speculative but I, I i remember someone referring to how in galatians he in his perhaps his earliest letter certainly earliest uh, but one or two if not his earliest he refers to the, peter and john the apostles in jerusalem by saying uh, they added nothing to me <laughs> and then late, later in first in corinthians 15 he speaks about himself as the least of the apostles uh, and then later, still in Ephesians, he refers to himself as the least of all God's people. And then later, still in First Timothy one, he refers to himself as the chief of sinners. So you think, here's a guy who, as he's got older and wiser and more mature, and surely more godly, more holy. You know, he's hated sin much more. But as he's got older, he's actually become more aware of his dependence on grace, not less aware. And that perhaps is a, just a, is a healthy pattern for us to bear in mind. You brought up the passage in First John, and uh, the thing that's so striking to me there in, in chapter 2 is that the statement that he makes about our sin is he says, I am writing to you, my little children, <laughs> that you, uh, these things, so that you may not sin. So he was like, he was like, okay, I am calling you to a holiness, uh, to a righteousness that matches your, um, the reality of your, your righteous position in Christ. So he says, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. And then his next statement is, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ. And so for me, it it is, uh, even John there is embracing both of those realities at the same time. I I, I, want to call you to holiness. I want to call you to righteousness. And man, you are not going to be holy and righteous. Aren't you glad we have Jesus? I mean, that's Paul's statement in Romans. What does he say? He says, he says, he says, what am I to do about this? Um, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, and so it's that it, I think what it does is it, it gives us a sense of uh, freedom instead of fatalism when we sin. Yes, 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 yeah. And it, it's like a, it's interesting that First John has that tension there in chapter one. But as you go through First John, you get to perhaps the most explicit statement of our tension. And he says, uh, he talks about us as, as you know, behold, what manner of love uh, the, the Father has given to us that we should be called the sons of God. And that is what we are. He says, it, it does not yet appear what we shall be. And uh, I, I think it's, I think actually the tension of the, that some people like this, the fellow that you were referring to, who said those two statements, those two sermons don't belong together. How can you preach both sermons? I think the tension is actually pretty characteristic of the kind of eschatological tension of the New Testament, that, that we, we do live in between things. We live in the already and the not yet. We live with the kingdom having come and the kingdom yet to come. And so, yeah, we can, we can handle both. We can say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm declared righteous. I'm in Christ. My life's hid with Christ in God. In that sense, I have no work to do on my relationship with God. You know, people say, how's your relationship with God going? Well, how's Jesus' relationship with God going? <laughs> that's, 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 that's how it's going. You yeah. know, it's, that's, that's it. That's my relationship with the Father. It's, it's the same one he has, and that's pretty good. And yet that doesn't, you know, to, to, if we only say that, we're missing 
uh, there's this other emphasis in the New Testament on, I know there is a relationship to work out. There's a salvation to work out with fear and trembling for God is at work in you. Uh, you know, yet another verse that seems to hold attention really healthily in Philippians. Um, so I, I feel this is a, this is just, this is sort of normal Christian eschatology. It's normal already, not yet. So what is it um, about, I guess, humans <laughs> that uh, causes us to, it seems like we want to run to one edge or the other. We want to run toward law in the sense of um, I want uh, I, I want to live under a strict restriction of how I'm to live and if I don't live this way I'm not um, I'm not right with God um, I mean I might be eternally right with him but man he's frowning every time he looks at me and he's got that sour look on his face like the the old neighbor that doesn't want you in his lawn you know it's it's I've got there's that and, and or to run to the other end and to say, um, man, um, because of my salvation, I could do whatever I want. I could sin. I don't have to worry about holiness. I don't have to worry about righteousness. What is it about our human condition, that, do you think, that causes us to run to one of those places? Wow, what a question. I mean, I, I think my, my um, thoughts would be that they're both, um, it's, it's a, I guess maybe I would say it's a little bit of the older brother, younger brother um, kind of, distribution <laughs> we, we're all we're all going to veer um towards one or the other you know from luke 15 so you you've got your you've got your various versions of avoiding the real father um either by literally leaving the house and spending all you know by by licentiousness or you can avoid the father by legalism which is what the older brother's doing. I mean, he's just as much, he doesn't want to know his father any more than the younger brother does. He's not, he doesn't care about his father. He's just, he's there with, uh, uh, with, with, with the law in mind, just try to keep, keep you know, do his, do his bit of the bargain and, and get what he needs from his, from his dad. And I guess that the, if there was a, a key antidote, it's, it's, it's revelation of the real God. Um, because the God that's known through Jesus Christ, the God that's revealed in the gospel, the, you know, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, is uh, it's going to it's going to have the impact of setting us free on both counts. We we will not uh, go to the law to find our righteousness. Neither will we run from from righteousness. I think I think um, it's it's interesting to me. I, I would say in my own personal observation recently and i guess maybe working amongst millennials a little bit um uh, i think that the kind of younger generation and youth and sort of young adult generation especially there's there's perhaps a kind of um uh, a, a discomfort around uh the concept of god as judge uh the concept of the fear of god um which which sets us off in a in a in a in a in a in a in, a, in an anxious place and perhaps we veer what you know I've I've noticed guys polarizing these things, you know either we fear God, or we enjoy a good father. Um, biblically, I think I don't see that that polarity because I suppose the true fear of God is actually characterized by a joy. It's, it's you know it's 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 Psalm two you know rejoice with trembling. Um, you know, one of the Psalms, which is Psalm 130, um, it, it just has this fascinating verse. You know, if you marked iniquities, who could stand? Uh, if God is the God who is purely a judge, if God is the law, 
we're all of us. We are all sunk. We are, we are all history. It's 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 we're, we're finished. But with you, it goes on to say there is forgiveness. And so it's like, oh, isn't it good news? The God of the Bible, the true God is not the law. The God of the Bible is this God who is full of bountiful love, abundant you know, uh, kindness. But the striking thing is the next phrase. With you, there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. And I, I, I find that that's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? It's like I get to know a God whose forgiveness is overwhelming and that makes me fear him. That doesn't make me licentious. True revelation of the gospel uh, is is more likely to draw out worship. Um, I, you know, I, I guess I often think of the Jonah, the sailors in the book of Jonah, who are terrified of the storm and they throw everything overboard and they they terrify ter- this terrible god who's come to get them and they throw the prophet over and he's and they're free. That the storm is stilled and the waves guide die down and they're caught and they and then it says they greatly feared or they you know they worshipped God. Uh, they feared God more because of mercy not less and you kind of realize you know god is never more awesome than he is in his mercy um we kind of imagine the awesome side of god is the law and the mercy side of the lord is just his niceness (laughs) it's like no no his mercy is truly awesome it's striking to think about uh just even all the illustrations used there from the older brother and the younger brother to millennials to Jonah to the the the, the men on the uh, on the ship um the, the statement you made was that uh, uh neither one of them wanted to know God and and I wonder if what it is is if at the core of each one of our sin natures um, there is a a self orientation that doesn't want to know God as he is and so the the so then to depending on our own wiring and our own sin nature and our own upbringing we run to one of those extremes of 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 law or licentiousness and then in that place he reminds us who he is and so uh, to to the younger brother, he reminds the younger brother who he is. To the older brother, he reminds him who he is. To those on the ship, to the millennials of this age, and and who he is is all of all of those things. He is all of mercy. He is all of justice. He is all of uh, the awe of 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 an all powerful uh, creator of the universe, and he is all of a shepherd and all of a tender father that loves his children uh, like a hen, you know, uh, uh, covers her chicks. And, and, and in his being, he is all of those things. And in our sin, we don't want to see the part of who he is that contradicts what we want in our lives. Yes, 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 yeah. So it's not, we don't want to sort of timetable God into, you know, this it's the Tuesday afternoon. It's back to a legalistic judge. You know, it's a, it's a Thursday morning. We, you know, it's going to be a, he's going to be a gracious father today. But but uh, yeah, this this same God who is passionately, forcefully, gracious and 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 just all at once. And and yeah, that's a that's a maybe that yeah. There's a resistance in us to the real, to the God that's that combines these things. Uh, yeah, I think there's something in that. Well, Joel, thank you so much for coming on today. I appreciate you as a friend, as a pastor, as a brother, as an example. 
um, and uh, just God has in some odd way in his sovereignty knit us together and uh, caused us to uh, find each other and become friends. And, and, and it means the world to me uh, to have uh, you as a partner in the gospel and just to know that uh, the gospel of Jesus is being proclaimed boldly and uh, that sinners are being set free uh, in the UK through the, the work of uh, your church. And so I'm just so thankful for you. Well, bless you, Noel. We love your ministry so much as well. I really, really appreciate your friendship. I'm so glad it's developed as it has. Love what you're doing in, in Riverview and, and can't wait to see the, the next stage of the adventure. I trust that I trust that the book that you're bringing out soon is, is going to have a huge impact as well. At the end of the conversation there, Joel mentioned my forthcoming book here that's coming out in February of next year. So I figured I might as well take a, a few minutes and tell you about this this new book because I'm really excited about this. The book is called Wretched Saints, uh, Transformed by the Relentless uh, Grace of God. And the idea is very similar to the idea of the podcast because this is what's on my brain lately. And it's this idea that we, as followers of Jesus, are both wretched and we are saints. We are wretched saints. And when we focus on just the wretched part of things, um, we can get really depressed and down on ourselves and think, oh, woe is me. And, and if we just think about the saint part, we, we begin to get prideful and arrogant. Uh, but really the reality of a follower of Jesus who is being transformed into the likeness of Christ is that we are both. We are wretched saints. And and I'm just really excited to get this resource out into the world. It was kind of a difficult and painful process to write the book that maybe I'll get into someday later, but um, I would love uh, for you to have a little bit of the book. And so I checked with my publisher to make sure they were okay with it, and they said it was cool. So what I've got is I've got a PDF version of the the table of contents and chapter one of the book um, that I'm just going to upload to my website today. So you can find it at noeljesse.com slash free, F-R-E-E. So it's noeljesse.com slash free. Uh, I'm probably going to roll that out in the next couple of weeks as well to a broader audience. But for now, it's just for those of you um, who not only listen to the podcast, but listen all the way to the end of the podcast. So you guys get to know about this resource. And so uh, check it out. Uh, let me know what you think. Um, if you don't like it, well, there's nothing I can do about it at this point because it is being printed as we speak. So uh, thanks again for listening to the Recovering Hypocrite podcast. We'll be ne back next week for episode five uh, of this first season. Mm -hmm.